there's somebody here who has back trouble. And so it's, it's I believe, uh, I know there's a couple of people with back trouble, but I believe it's uh, the left side, and I believe it's between discs two and five, or vertebrae two to five. Is that you? All right, stand up. Lay your hands. I believe it's, is it the left side? The Lord doesn't give words of knowledge because he wants to show off. The Lord gives words of knowledge because he wants to bring healing. And so the word of knowledge comes to increase our faith that he wa- he's doing this. And so right now, Father, in Jesus' name, God, we pray for the healing power of God to flow through Mary's body. God, uh, inflate those uh, discs. God, fix those vertebrae. God, remove every pinched nerve. God, bring healing in her back right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Judith, ah, there's, the Lord has something for you, ah, and I don't know what it is, but he, he put you on my mind earlier today as I was, prepare, as I was shaving, and he just put me on... He, I, that means nothing. I was just doing something. I could have been putting my shoes on. I don't know why you guys think that's funny. But the Lord, so this is the way God moves. This is the way God speaks. He put Judith on my heart. And so Judith has been faithful to attend our small group. I think she made every single one. And we got to know her heart. And so what the Lord wants, to, what the Lord wants you to know is that he's going to heal every hurt that's ever been brought to you. Emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, every hurt that's ever come your way by any person, any situation, there's healing coming. And it's going to change, it's going to change your posture, and it's going to change uh, even the way you stand. It's going to change the way you speak. It's going to change, it's going to change the way you look. You're going to look different because God's going to bring healing to all of those things uh, that have happened in the past through no fault of your own. But God wants to heal it all. He wants to heal it all. Amen. 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 Glory to God. The third thing that the Lord wanted me to share with you today, uh, and this is by the Spirit, not something that is in the message, but it's, it's, it's this. It's do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. And we have to be a people that do not fear. How many of you know that do not fear is the most frequently and often given command in the Bible? And so constantly God is saying, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And so I want to say to those of you who are at home, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. There's so much we could look around and there's so much we could look around and be afraid of at this day and in this time and in this hour. And let me say this, if you're fearful, you need to stop watching the news. Because they are today's largest terrorist organization. They are today's largest terrorist organization. And I don't say this to be political. I don't say this to be anything. All I'm saying, all I'm speaking is the truth. You turn it on and the only thing they're talking about is something that can make you more afraid. Why don't they report that the numbers are going down? Because you won't be afraid of that. Why aren't they, why aren't they reporting that, that black people and white people are getting along in certain circumstances? Because you wouldn't be afraid of that. I get very, I get, <laughs> I get very upset over this stuff. And so I have to really not talk about politics. And I'm not. This isn't a political message. This is about fear. How many of you know that fear is the opposite of faith? Fear is the opposite of faith. If you're afraid, you won't have faith. Fear is actually putting your belief in something other than God. Fear is believing the lie of the enemy rather than the, rather than the truth of God. What did God say? God said, I will bless you in your comings and in your goings. 
in the morning and in the evening. I'll be with you. I'll be in front of you. I'll be beside you. I'll be all around you. I'll be within you. This is the word of God. Do we, do we believe that? Or do we believe what someone else is telling us? I'll tell you what I told, what I told you all the very first week that we had COVID. My, my stand hasn't changed. And it's this. The very first week that it was a thing, I'm not going to get it. I know I'm not. I'm actually very, I'm 100% confident that I'm not going to get it. And so the rest of what I'm going to say, the rest of what I'm going to say, the rest of what I'm going to say is to comfort those of you who don't have that level of faith. Because maybe you don't have the level of faith where you know you're not going to get it. Maybe God hasn't spoken to you the way that he's spoken to me that you're not going to get it. And so if I do get COVID, it's not going to be that bad. If I do get it and it's that bad, I'm not going to go to the hospital. If I do have to go to the hospital, I'm not going to have to be intubated. If I do have to be intubated, I'm not going to die. And if I die, praise God, I win. There's no way I lose. This is my stand of faith. Listen, I just don't care. The enemy can't beat me. Let me ask you a question. I'm changing the atmosphere. Let me ask you a question. This is a deep theological question that you guys are going to be like scratching your heads. Everybody's going to have a different answer. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Think about it for just a moment, right? What's the alternative? Just imagine, if you will, right? This is, this is going to be like out there. This is going to be really out there, but it's going to help us to understand part of why Jesus had to die on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. I can't make my way all the way over there because it's dark and the camera can't pick me up. So. Jesus is on the cross. He's already been whipped, right? The, the stripes on Jesus' back were for the healing of the nation. He accomplished healing. He took the sin of the world upon him. He suffers this separation from the Father. What did they say? They said, if you're the son of God, get yourself down from there. What a miracle that would have been. Can you imagine? Jesus is there. The earth starts shaking. And suddenly, you know, the, the, the nails pop out of the wood. And they, they kill the high priest who's standing there. I mean, come on. We're going Hollywood. And Jesus floats up off the cross. And he's like, bam. Right? And they all fall out just like they did in the garden. Why couldn't they have done that? Could have. Could have. Jesus could have. He's God. He can do anything he wants. Could have happened that way. Just rewrote it. <laughs> Why did Jesus have to die? So that you and I would have faith that when we die, we're going to heaven too. Come on. Come on, what happened? Come on, what happened? Jesus died. He buried. He was buried. And that grave couldn't hold him down. That grave had no power over him. Death had no power over him. And I'm here to tell you today that death has no power over you. That the grave has no power over you. And that your greatest victory is when you breathe your last breath. Paul says... Come on, do we believe the word or not? Do we believe the word or not? Come on, either you believe it or you don't. Paul said, I would far rather be in heaven than be stuck here with you. I mean, I'm, I'm adding a little bit there. Okay, guys, but go read it. Here, Philippians chapter 1. I would really rather be in heaven. Really, that's really where I want to be. And honestly, if we all knew the reality of heaven, we'd all want to be there too. But we're here, and God's got me here for a reason. He's got me here for a mission. And so I go back to what I said. I'm not going to get COVID. If I do, it's not going to be that bad. If it is, I'm gonna go, I won't go to the hospital. If I do go to the hospital, I won't have to be intubated. If I do have to be intubated, I'm not going to die. And if I die, I win. It's not, <laughs> it's not a negative confession of faith. 
I've just played this whole thing out and I realize that there's no way I lose. And so I live with no fear. I live with absolutely no fear. I don't fear that I'm going to get it because I know I'm not going to get it. And even if I do get it, I'm not going to go through that all again. I live with no fear. And so what else do you have to be afraid of? Just stop being afraid. Uh, atmosphere changers, we went and we spent a lot of time in Matthew 10, but we kind of went over this. I mean, we spent a lot of time here. You know, I'd be done with it. I would have finished this week one if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And we can thank him for every bit of it. Ah, Lord Jesus. All right. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going back. I, you know, we're, we're here. We've been through Matthew chapter 10. I want to I stop here because three times in five verses, Jesus says, do not fear. Did you miss it? Three times in, in five verses in Matthew chapter 10, he says, do not fear. I'm going to start in verse... 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his masters. It is, enough, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is interesting. If you actually literally translate Beelzebub, it actually means Lord of the Flies. Hold that thought. How much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. God is revealing stuff right now. We need to, as a church, we need to pray. We need to pray at large. We need to pray big time. We need to really be in prayer because we want to pray that every hidden thing is revealed. God, at this hour and in this stage, what is God doing with COVID? What is he doing with stay at home? What is he doing with all of this stuff? Taking all of these uh, things that we worship, the sports, the movies, the theater, the TV, the this, the that. He's taking it all down because he wants things to be revealed. And when we get out of our comfort zone, God's about to reveal stuff. We need to, we need to pray that every hidden thing, every hidden scheme of the enemy is revealed. That needs to be our prayer. We need, okay. Every hidden thing will be revealed. Whatever I tell you in the dark, preach in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the hear stuff. And do not fear those who can kill you. Who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And yet not one of them falls to the earth apart from the Father's will. Not one bird dies apart from God's will. Are you kidding me? Not one mosquito. Kill them all. It says sparrow. Okay. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. Therefore, are you not more of more worth than they? Come on. Come on, we need to get rid of fear so that we can enter into faith. We need to get rid of fear so that we can begin to walk in faith. You cannot walk in fear and walk in faith at the same time. Can't do it. You can't do it. You're either believing the lie of the enemy or you're believing the truth of God. To live in fear is to believe the lie of the enemy. What are you afraid of? Hold it up to the word of God. Are you afraid of COVID? Listen, Jesus touched the lepers. I don't know what the contagiousy rate for COVID is. I don't think anybody knows. I don't think they know nothing about this thing. But I know, the more I know, the less I know. But I know this, I know that leprosy is highly contagious. And Jesus walked around laying his hands on lepers. The power of God that was in Jesus didn't allow the leprosy to get on him. It caused him to be able to cleanse the lepers. Are you going to believe the lie of the enemy or are you going to believe the truth? I'm not saying that we'd be uh, foolish. If you don't have faith, don't step out. But if you're going to believe the fear, you'll never get to faith. You can't hold both at the same time. You're either believing what the enemy said or you're believing what God said. Jesus. God wants to increase our faith. Now more than ever, God wants to increase our faith. God wants us to be people of faith, to walk like people of faith, to live like people of faith, to act like people of faith. 
What does that look like? It looks like the book of Acts. That's what it looks like. It looks like people walking down the street, healing people. It, it looks like somebody walking down the street and just their shadow healing people on the ground. That's what it looks like when you're walking in faith. I don't know. I'm not there yet, but that's my goal. Even higher, even greater works than these, Jesus said. I don't know what the greater works are, but I'm after them. I'm not after them for the sake of the greater works. I'm after them for the, for the fact that God's glory will be revealed in them. When I walk down the street and my shadow is healing somebody and they're saying, what's going on with you? And I'm saying, it's Jesus in me, not me. All glory be to God. All right, let's try and finish this message today, shall we? We made it to Luke chapter 10 last week. But we didn't get very far. But the good news is that Luke chapter 10 is really a review of Matthew chapter 10. So we're going to be able to move quickly, I think. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Right? Remember we talked about that last week. And he sent them out two by two before his face into every place that he was about to go. Jesus in this hour, God in this hour, listen to me, church. There is, if, if you get one thing today, get this. God in this hour is looking to put forth the two by two. The, the corporate gathering is great. The corporate worship is great. I will we'll never stop this. We'll never end this. God, it'll never end. We'll always do this as long as, you know, they're not, you know, militantly stopping us from doing this. We'll be doing this. And even then, we'll do it in, in the shadows. We'll do it in the hiding place. We'll do it in our basements. We'll do it in warehouses. We'll do it wherever we have to find the space to worship God. They can't stop me from worshiping God. They can't stop me. But, God wants to highlight the two by two, the two by two, two people in one place with the power of God. So find one other person, just one. Your mission today, find one person. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be your friend. It might be the person that you're sitting next to you. It might be the other person on the other side of the room. It might be your friend. It might be a coworker. I don't know. One other Christian. And this week, commit to go someplace, two by two, with the sole purpose of preaching the gospel and bringing the kingdom. <laughs> Too often when we walk out of the house, we have a list. Let me pick up my shopping list. And we go running through the, the grocery market and we're like, all right, I got to get bread and I got to get cheese and I got to get bacon and I got to get uh, the escargot for the French supper on Sunday. And I got to get... And, and we're so focused on the list that we miss the Holy Spirit saying, stop and talk to this cashier. That woman that you just like ran over to get the lettuce. <laughs> Help her get lettuce. Come on, she's short, that shelf's high. What's wrong with you? We get so, <laughs> we get so caught up on what we're doing, we get so caught up on self and we forget there's anybody else on the planet. This is the problem with America right now. It's a problem with a lot of things right now. We need to remove self. And we're all selfish. I'm selfish. Listen, I, I'm selfish. I've been walking with Christ for 27 years, and there's still self in me that has to die. Luke chapter, uh, is it 9 or 11 or 13? It says... Uh, Pick up your cross and follow me. Die daily. <sighs> Die daily. Every day. Crucify the flesh. Every day. Take that thing in you that wants to satisfy yourself and bless someone else. This is the call of the walk of Christ. The blessing of God. God, it didn't look just like the way that I thought it would. God, it, the blessing, it just isn't looking exactly the way that I thought it would. You know what? There's an old country song. Sometimes I listen to country. I haven't in a while, but we did the other night. It's interesting. We used to listen to it quite a bit back in the day, and there's an old country song. I bring all that up because there's an old country song that says, some of, the, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. How many, of you, how many of you had a boyfriend or girlfriend that you prayed, you know, 
that they would come back to love you again or, you know, you would marry them and it didn't ever happen. Unanswered prayer. Thank God. At least in my case, I have the greatest wife on the planet. Unanswered prayer. <laughs> and Pastor Tom does too and so many of you do too. Brian and Amy. All, all, we all have the best. Jamie and Danny, uh -huh, the newlyweds over here. Woo! They're all like, pick me, pick me. I prayed, I prayed, I, I don't know, I prayed, God, give me a million dollars. We've all prayed that prayer, right? That didn't get answered. <laughs> God, let me win the $50 million Powerball lottery. Unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. <laughs> God, let my 108-year-old grandmother who's got double lung cancer and heart failure and 37 other health problems, let her live. But it's God's will to call her home. She would have just lived to suffer longer. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. There's a scripture, there's a scripture, and I think it's in either Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. I don't know exactly where it is. It says, uh, I, I, don't know where, I don't know where it is. It says, God, let me not become too rich and forget you. And God, let me not become so poor that I steal and profane your name. I don't know where that is. I, it, I, it's either Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, probably. I couldn't find it. I looked for it. God, let me not become so rich that I forget you. Well, listen, the word of God is not an accident. Nothing is in here by accident. That word's not an accident. This is profound. If we can wrap our minds around this church, American church, if we can wrap our minds around this, this thing right here, this one scripture that I just shared with you, it's going to revolutionize our walk in America. God, let me not become so rich that I forget you. When we hear that and we take that and we think that all the way through, now suddenly I don't pray for a million dollars anymore. Maybe I play the Powerball lottery on a rare occasion because I'm thinking like, you know, if I had that money, I'd give it all to the church. That's not what you're thinking. <laughs> Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Proverbs 30, verse 9. 30, verse 9. God, let me not become so rich that I forget you. And let me not become so poor that I steal and defame your name, right? So if I'm poor and I have to steal bread to survive and I'm a Christian, what's that look like? Christian stealing, doesn't the Bible say don't steal, right? And so this is a, this is a good prayer. It's like, is this a middle-of-the-road prayer? No, this is a dependency prayer. This is a dependency prayer because what happens is if we get too rich, we believe that we're self-sufficient and we believe that we don't need God anymore. And then if we get too poor and we have nothing, then God's not supplying for us. And why should anybody serve God that doesn't supply for him? There's a lot to be learned from Ecclesiastes. <laughs> if you're ever feeling, if you're ever feeling like life should be better than it is for you, go back and read Ecclesiastes. It's good. It's good stuff. I read it all the time, not because I think that life should be better. Th this thing, this idea of the blessing and what, when, what Pastor Stacy spoke about, about the fact that the blessing didn't look the way that I thought it would look. Just to just read through Ecclesiastes, man, it's, it's rich. Just off the top of my head, it says, this I have seen, and it's an evil under the sun. One man gathers riches, but he has no time to enjoy them. And he leaves all of his wealth to another, to a fool. And who knows what will come. I, I may be paraphrasing and, and gluing scriptures together, but this is all in Ecclesiastes, trust me. And he leaves it to a fool, and who knows what will come after him. This is a grievous evil that I've seen underneath the sun. This is what Solomon says. Solomon, which wisest man ever walked the earth? 
I've seen a, a, poor, a poor man, a poor king, a poor, a poor youth who was able to instruct the nation on what they should do, and he was forgotten. And I've seen a rich king who didn't know the wisdom to give, and it didn't work out well for the people. This is what, there's so much in here, man. You just got to, if you're ever not happy with your lot in life, if you ever are getting a blessing and it's not looking the way you, look, you thought it'd look, read through Ecclesiastes. It changes your perspective. All right. All right? Come on, how many of you want the blessing of the Lord? Listen, the blessing of the Lord isn't necessarily going to look the way you thought it looked. It's not houses and cars and boats and planes and trains and travel all over the place. It may be, but probably not. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. Most of us probably can't handle the level of blessing that God's willing to pour out in our life. What am I saying? If God gave you a million dollars, you would forget him, just like a Proverbs verse 30, chapter 30, verse 9 says. Why? Because it's human nature. It's human nature to believe that I'm self-sufficient and I don't need anybody else. God doesn't want you to forget him. He wants to keep you in a place where you're dependent upon him because we are. Come on, we are sheep among wolves and the only protection we have is Jesus. And so if we forget him and we rely on our own strength and we rely on our own money, we're doomed. Would God give you the cars and the planes and the trains and the houses and the, yeah, but what, what kind of a testimony are you going to bring with it? When God pours that level of blessing out in your life, is it always going to be, God did this? And is it going to be from a humble perspective or is it going to be from such a prideful perspective that nobody can even hear that God did it for you through your gritted teeth of God did this for me? All right, I think I'm done. We're still in Luke. All right, enough of that. I hope you guys got that. I hope that blessed you today. Listen, I want the blessing of God over your life. I want the blessing of God over my life. I want the blessing of God over your life probably more than you want the blessing of God over your life. And so the reason, the whole reason I preach this message today about what might the blessing of God look like is so that you can be blessed. Listen, I don't have the million dollars, far from it, uh, but you know what? The blessing of God has been poured out in my life in such a way, man, I wouldn't want anything else. Oh my God, I get into the presence of God and it's all over, forget it. The, the worship gets on here and psh, seal it, dude, seal it. Like better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. I would take one day, listen to me, and this is no exaggeration. This is the absolute God's honest truth. I would take one day being in the presence of God over a thousand days with millions of dollars at my disposal and I can buy anything that I want. I am not lying. I am not being facetious. I am not exaggerating. I am not, uh, what's the word? I'm not, I'm not just saying this to say this. There is nothing better than the presence of God. Okay. Continuing in verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Luke 10, verse 2. The laborers are few. The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This needs to be our prayer. This needs to be our prayer. God, send out laborers into the harvest. God, send out laborers into the harvest. God, send out laborers into the harvest. God, send out laborers. If we think, if we need to be atmosphere changers, then we need to begin to pray and ask God, to make us those individuals who will change the atmosphere. God, cause me to be one of those that you send out into the harvest. God, I want to be one of those who you send out into the harvest. Have you prayed that prayer? Pray that prayer. God, send me into the harvest. God, cause my heart to be right so that I can be sent into the harvest. God, cause my heart to be right so that I can bring in the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lamb, lambs among wolves. 
We read that in, in, in Matthew. Lambs among wolves, the only protection is the shepherd. Carry neither bag nor knapsack nor sandals and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, your peace will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wage. Do not go from house to house. It's interesting. Don't go from house to house. You know, you show up and you meet some people and somebody's like, hey, listen, you can stay at my house. This is the way it was back in the day. You know, they didn't have Holiday Inn on every street. and You couldn't just pick up a hotel room. So you stayed in somebody's house. And so somebody's like, hey, why don't you come stay at my house? So you stay there for a while. Then you preach for a little bit, right? And then they're like, hey, listen, I've got much more room than so-and-so. Come stay at my house. Now you're going from house to house. And so this is what Jesus wanted them to not do. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, each such things as said as before you, and heal the sick there. I, I love this. Don't Notice that he didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. Stop praying for the sick. Just heal them. Such as I have given to you, give unto them. Jesus has provided for healing. We just need to command it to come. It's interesting. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. God is doing this. Heal them. Heal the sick. And tell them, it's God doing this. It's Jesus Christ who's healing you right now. The message hasn't changed. Go out. Go. Two by two. Go. And heal the sick. Pray for people. Just start by praying for people. Maybe you don't have faith for healing. Don't pray for healing if you don't have faith for healing. Measure what your faith is. Somebody says, hey, you know, you, you get in the conversation, hey, how's business? Business is terrible. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for your business. Pray for their business. You have faith for that? Pray for what you have faith for. And then when it turns around and their business increases, you go back the next week and they're like, hey, man, since you prayed, things have turned around. It's great. See, it's Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Because if you're, not gonna, if you're not willing to give the testimony, you'll never see the manifestation. The kingdom of God has come near to you, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of the city which clings to your feet, we wipe off our feet against you. It's a prophetic sign. Listen, man, you guys aren't going to listen? It's fine. Done. Kingdom of God was here. You didn't want any part of it. We're out. Nevertheless, know that the kingdom of God has come near to you, but I say this, that it will be more tolerable for that day for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it will be, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. We're going to end right there. And so you see a lot of that stuff is the same stuff that we read through Matthew uh, chapter 10. Let's keep going. Uh, Luke 22 says this. It says, and he said to them, when I sent you without bag and knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no, we didn't lack anything, nothing. And he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, let him take it. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. This is strange. For I say to you, that which is written must be accomplished in me. And this is what was written. It's in quotes there. And he was numbered with the transgressors. This must be accomplished in me. For the, the, for the things concerning me, Jesus said, have an end. I'm about to go. It's about to wrap up, guys. And so they said, look, we have two swords. <laughs> and Jesus said, it's enough. What in the world? Okay, let's, let's start at the beginning and, and break this scripture down. First, I want to bring your attention to the point where we have read through Matthew 10 and Luke 10 where he sends out the 12 and he sends out the 70 and he says to them, don't take anything. Don't take any money. Don't take him any knapsack. Don't take a second cloak. Don't take none of that. And now he's changing course and saying, okay, at this point, I want you guys to take your money belt, take your knapsack, take your coat, and you know what? If you don't have a sword, get a sword. All right, let's remove the sword for a second. We'll come back to that in a moment. Why is he telling them that now he wants them to take their money, but not before he didn't? He wanted them to learn to be able to depend on God. He wanted them to learn that he is their provision, not their own pocket. Follow me? 
He wanted to teach them in their first ministry trip that Jesus is the provider, that God is the provider, that they will never lack. But now comes a period of time where you take, put your money in your pocket and go your way. And as you go, you know, pay for yourself. Bring your knapsack. We're not coming back. And, <laughs> and he who has an, a sword, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. This is, this, this is fascinating. I've, I've thought about this scripture for a long time. And so why would Jesus tell them that now's the time to get the sword? And he tells them, listen, we're about to wrap this up, guys. This last scripture that I'm telling you about, I'll be numbered with the transgressors. I'll be numbered with the sinners. It's about to be fulfilled. And so put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Okay? You got to do this in order to understand what Jesus is saying. Here's Jesus. And he has been the most peaceful person that you could stand to ever be around in your life. Never hurt anybody. He's only ever healed people. We're looking for the kingdom to come. We're looking for the kingdom of Israel. We're looking for this natural kingdom to be restored. And Jesus won't so much as hit somebody. They hit him, and he walks away. He offers them the other cheek. It's like, what gives, Jesus? How is this going to win the kingdom? And so now he says, listen, imagine, okay, you've been with this guy who's completely nonviolent, and now he says, listen, everything that's been prophesied about me, it's about to be fulfilled. For there's an end concerning me, right? There's the, everything that's been prophesied about me, it's coming to a close. So make sure you have a sword. I'm the disciples and I'm like, it's about to get real. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this nonviolent guy who can command the wind and the waves, he's about to take up arms and it's about to get real. And all of Israel's coming down, and we're about to be rulers up in here, up in this place with Jesus. Listen, we only read it differently because we know the end of the story, church. Put yourself in the moment. Put yourself in the moment, and then read the scripture. They're thinking this. And Jesus wanted, why did Jesus call him out and tell him to bring a sword? Because he wanted to solidify for once and for all that it had nothing to do with the natural kingdom. He wanted the last thing, he wanted the last thing that they remember to be, we're not to use a sword. And so what happens? They go out to the garden. This is right before the Garden of Gethsemane. They go out. This is actually after dinner. This is after the Last Supper. They're getting ready to go to the garden. And Jesus says this to them, and they go to the garden. And what happens in the garden? Peter's got his sword. They come to arrest him, and he pulls out his sword, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest, Malchus servant of the high priest, cuts off his ear. Jesus, you told me to take my sword. And so what does Jesus say? He rebukes him. Why did Jesus tell him to bring a sword in the first place if he wasn't going to let him use the sword? Because he wanted to drive the point home. Listen, this is a nonviolent thing, dude. And if you're going to be violent, then you're going to die violently. He turns to Jesus and he says, put your sword in its place for those who take the sword will die by the sword. You want to pull out your sword and have a fight? You're going to die that way, buddy. Put it away. Get rid of the sword. He wanted to tell them once and for all, this is, a not, this is not happening this way. No swords. And he gets to perform one last miracle. Leave it to Jesus to set the stage for him to be able to perform one last miracle. It's amazing. His ear is cut off, and Jesus picks the ear up off the ground, and he puts it back on the guy's head, holds it there, and it's healed. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose raising somebody that's dead is greater. But we'll not argue about greater, right? Listen, the battle that we fight, the war that we wage as Christians is a spiritual battle. And we have to understand this. We have to grasp this. And we have to put it down deep in our souls. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. For though we walk according to the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. Come on. We do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world. But they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. 
The weapons of our warfare as Christians are not made of flesh and blood. They're not made of iron. They're not made of gunpowder. They're not made of chemical weapons. They're not made of fists. That's not the war we fight. That's not the war we fight. The war that we fight is mighty. It's mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There is a violence that we have to wage in the spiritual realm to fight the war, to fight the battle that's going on in our midst. And you better be, you better be engaged. You better be engaged now. Fight the fight. But it's not with your hands. It's not with your mouth. It's not with... It's in the spiritual realm. We don't fight against flesh and blood. When we see somebody who's against God, it does no good for us to physically attack them in any way. Oh, Jesus. Ephesians 6. We're going to talk about some of the warfare that we can make. And I want to start with the armor of God. Take up, it's funny, we talk about these battles, and more often than not, there's these defensive positions, right? Take up the whole armor of God. Most of what we're going to talk about here in Ephesians 6 is going to be defensive. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many of you know that the day in which we're living in is evil, right? You don't have to be a, a, a mathematician to figure that out. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, when, when you think you can't stand anymore, now it's time to stand. Having your waist girded with truth. And so every single one of these things is a, is a uh, form of Roman armor. And so the, the Roman, the Roman uh, warrior would wear a belt around, and it had all of these uh, pieces of metal that hung down that protected him. And so the, the, the belt of truth had these metal pieces that hung down and it protected his legs from, from the, the sword of the enemy so that the enemy couldn't hit his legs with a sword. So you can stand. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, breastplate, this big metal plate goes right across the breast, protects your heart. The righteousness that we have comes from Christ. The righteousness that we have that comes from Christ protects our heart. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace protects our feet. It keeps us going, right? It keeps us going. Without, without follow me, without having the gospel of peace, we'd give up. What is the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is the fact that when we die, we go to heaven. We've been forgiven of our sins. This is the gospel. We've been forgiven of our sins. When we die, we go to heaven. Listen, I'll keep going because there's just no way that I can lose. When I, when, I, when I win, I win. And when I lose, I win. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's pretty self-explanatory. This great big shield. Darts come. Fiery arrows come. Stop them all with my shield. And the helmet of salvation, right? We know we're saved. We know we're going to heaven. Again, it's going to protect our mind. It's all making sense? And now we get to the very first weapon. Come on. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, peace piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. <laughs> That's intense. This is what the word of God does. Listen, this is what the word of God does. The word of God is living and powerful. It's a living word. It's not dead. It's not has been. 
sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces and it divides your soul and your spirit. That's the word of God. It cuts between your emotions and your intellect and the spirit of God that is within you and your own spirit. It just cuts it apart. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God. Why? Listen, I've been telling you guys about reading eight chapters. Don't, you don't, maybe you don't have to read eight chapters. Just pick up, read one verse. Just read something. Just read something. Every day. I, my goal is eight chapters a day. Maybe your goal is one chapter a day. Maybe your goal is like five minutes before bed. Maybe your goal is I just want to read one a day. Listen, I may not read eight chapters every day, but I'm always reading my word. There's never a day that I don't read my word. Even when I don't have to or want to, I want to. It, part of it's part of my job. I have to read all the time. And so I, re, I, re, I read through all of this last night so that, you know, I'd be better prepared again today. But I'm reading anyways. Beyond that, I'm reading Psalms. I'm reading Proverbs. I'm reading in all these other books, Hosea recently. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me stop here and say this. The Word says in uh, Romans 10, 17, it says, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, right? And so we talked about faith earlier, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Not having heard. I read that. That's great. You've got no faith because you heard it before. It doesn't say faith comes because you have heard the Word of God. That's not what the text says. It says faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so if you're lacking in faith, hear the word of God. Pick it up. Read it. Put, put your app on and just let it play in the car on the way. Sometimes you just need to hear the word. What are you listening to? If you're listening to the talking heads more than you're listening to the word of God, you're never going to have faith to endure the day in which we find ourselves. And, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then it gives us this admonition without attaching it. We're going to end here pretty soon. And then it gives us this admonition without attaching it to any sort of a weapon. And I believe because the weapon wasn't formed yet. Praying always with all prayer and all supplication in the Spirit. And being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Have the word of God and pray. Pray. Prayer. Prayer is our other weapon. Prayer is our other weapon. And we need to be a people of prayer. And we need to pray day and night and night and day. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Day and night and night and day and day and night and night and day and day and day and night and night and day and day and night and night and day and night and night and day. Until Jesus comes back. Without ceasing. Without ceasing. Don't ever end. I was listening. Uh, somebody was saying, it was um, Kenneth Hagin Jr., Jr. Rejoice always. He says when he gets to his hotel room, he does a lot of speaking engagements. He says when he gets to his hotel room, he'll put his worship music on. And so he doesn't have, he doesn't have fancy stuff like this. Right? We've got all this digital stuff. We can just throw worship music on in seconds. But he brings, he literally brings a CD player with him. And he allows, he, he wants worship music playing in the place where he's going to be sleeping from the moment that he arrives until the moment that he gets back. Why? Because praise brings the presence of God. Does, it, does a recording of praise bring the presence of God? I don't know. But it, does it hurt? I don't think it does. Listen. I worship God all the time. I, we talked about this already. Worship God always. We play worship music in our house a lot. And we don't play it all the time. But you know what I realize is that I realize that I sing worship music. And so when music's not playing, and that means something like this, and we play it over bigger speakers in our house, when worship music's not playing, 
or somebody's not seated at the piano because all four of my kids play and they play worship music often. And so when something's not being played, I, want, I realize that I sing something. If I'm working on, you know, putting up a new shelf in the closet, as I'm running up and downstairs to get screws or brackets or whatever it is I need to put up the new shelf, I'm singing something. And I might not be singing it out loud, but I'm singing it in my head. And I only realized this because last week I watched um, a movie, The Greatest Showman, and I realized that I'm singing this song, and I was like, well, wow, wow that's not worship music. Like, and, I, and I was, as I sang the song for a day or more, because those are really catchy tunes, right? They're really catchy tunes. As I sang the, do- the song for like more, a day or two or more, I realized that I'm not in the presence of God the way that I want to be. It wasn't, it wasn't like I had done something wrong. It was more of like, geez, there's just really some place I'd rather be, and I'm not there right now. You know, there's some place that I'd rather be, and I'm not, I'm not there right now. God, I want to be back there. Worship, 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 worship. God's, God's, uh, God is putting a focus on worship right now in this day and in this age across, in the church, across America, across the globe. There are, there are many um, ministries that are breaking out, that are growing out because of their focus on worship, and it's not by accident this isn't by accident. This isn't just because it's cool. It's because it's actually touching the heart of God. When you come to a place where you decide that you're going to worship God, false things fall away. Let me say that again. When you come to a place where you decide that you're going to worship God, false things fall away. False thinking falls away. Incorrect thinking of who God is falls away. When you come to a place where you begin to worship God in earnest, God brings healing where you didn't know that you could have healing. It's fantastic. Pray, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray and don't stop praying. Man, listen, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. America stands at a point. America, our nation, stands at a point in which it's all up in the air. I believe that this election could change the future of America for the next 50 to 100 years. I believe that we stand in that type of a moment of time. I believe that this could be the most important election in the history of our nation. I think I know who's going to win. But it doesn't matter what I think I have to pray. It doesn't matter what I think I have to pray. For me, the, the, the decision's an easy one. I don't vote on who I like. I vote for values. And there's one value that trumps all others in my estimation. Because if you get that one right, you're going to kind of get all the other ones right too. I vote for life. I vote, I vote for the ending of abortion. And I believe that there is one candidate that is pro-life that seeks to end abortion. I believe that there is one candidate that, if elected, will appoint two to three more Supreme Court justices. And it, was the, it is the Supreme Court that will eventually overturn Roe v. Wade because it came down through them. Listen, this is not a political debate. This is a, this is a moral issue. This has nothing to do with politics. Abortion has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the rights of the unborn. And I will stand on the platform that this is the most important thing because if you have this one thing right, everything else will fall into line. Remember how I told you last week, I think it was we talked last week, and I said that when a young man comes and asks for my daughter's hand in marriage, which happened to me this year in 2020, there's one thing that I want to hear. I want to know that he has a heart after God. I want to know that he has a heart after God. Because if I know that he has a heart after God, if I know that he loves God more than his mother and his father and his sister and his brother and his fiance and his son and his daughter, 
If I know that he loves God that much, then he'll love all of them the right way. It's the only requirement. So how do we know? How do we know? This is a very difficult thing to be able to find out. Time and consistency is the, what do you say, Fred? Time and consistency. Time and consistency. It takes time. We'll see. I'll see. We'll sit. We'll have coffee. I'll talk with you. I'll know. God will reveal your heart. You'll reveal your own heart to me as we sit and we talk through time and consistency. Pray without ceasing. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray for America. We need to pray for this election. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to pray. 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 And finally, we give thanks in all things. <laughs> this can be difficult, guys. I get that. We have bad days. I'll never forget the first time we ever gone, went to Florida. We had bought a um, uh, camper. We towed our camper down. We stayed for two weeks in, in Florida. And we were getting ready to head back, two-day journey back. And we get on the road. We weren't on the highway for 30 seconds. We weren't on the highway for 30 seconds. We get on the on-ramp. We come over the little knoll, because there's only knolls in Florida. There's no hills. We come over the little knoll, and as we're coming down, there's this trailer ramp sitting in the middle of the highway. And I swerve as much as I could, towing my 30-foot trailer to miss it. And I miss it with the front tire, but I clip it with the back tire of the van. It pops the back tire of the van. That piece of metal that's about two feet wide and four feet long flips up into the air off of the tire, and it gouges out the whole side of my trailer. And then it flips off of my trailer, and it hits this Honda Accord, and it shears the mirror off of his car. Lucky he didn't go through the windshield. Shears the mirror off of his car, and then rolls off, and he's on one side of the highway, and I'm on the other side of the highway, and there's 15 other cars that all hit the same thing. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Give thanks in all things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why am I giving thanks? I don't even know right now. I don't even know. This was such a traumatic thing. I don't even know. But you know what? Thank you, God. And then as I sit there and I'm changing the tire and I'm putting the, the spare tire on the car, I'm thinking, you know what? If that had hit the front tire, we could have rolled over and we'd all be dead. I could have, my, my, some, one, of, one of my kids could have died. Well, that could have happened. Thank you, Lord. You know what? Maybe, I don't, I, I don't know, maybe it, we got that flat tire, delayed us an hour. We, uh, we <laughs> had a nail in the side of the spare tire. It was in the sidewall, so they couldn't do a fix-a-thing. And so I had to have a new tire put on. And so we didn't get out of Florida until like 3 in the afternoon. We're supposed to be out of Florida by like 9 a.m., 3 in the afternoon. I'm like, we're never making it home. <laughs> Lord, thank you. I don't, I don't know. Why now is there a nail in the side of the, the sidewall of my tire? Now I've got to get a new tire. I don't know. I don't, I, thank you, Lord. And that's just a small thing. But if we learn to give thanks in everything, if we learn to give thanks in everything, it changes the game. It's a game changer. We need to be a people. We need to learn to give thanks in all things. On our worst day, we need to thank God. Uh, the Ecclesiastes says, it says, when, when you're blessed, remember God. In good times, remember God. But when bad times come, remember that God has appointed one as well as the other. And we thank God then too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, I pray that we would be atmosphere changers. God, that we would worship you. And that as we worship you, we change the atmosphere. God, the atmosphere of wherever we find ourselves. God, cause us to be those who would worship you in season and out of season, in church and out of church. God, that we'd worship you at home, that we'd worship you God, in our workplace, that we'd worship you in our home, that we'd worship you at our friend's house, that we'd worship you in the streets, God, that we'd worship you everywhere we go, and that your presence would come, and that it would change the atmosphere and where we find ourselves. 
God, cause us to be a people that would pray unceasingly, that we would pray without end. God, that there would be no end to the conversation that we have with you. And that as a result, that your very presence is brought everywhere we go. And God, help us to be a people that can give thanks in all things. Whether it's a good day or a bad day. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In life and in death. In sowing and in reaping. In good times and in bad times. When the wind is at my back and when the wind is in my face. In storms, in trials, in persecution, in dark of night, in blessings, in everything, God, we give thanks. Knowing that you work all things together for your good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, and that your ways are beyond us even finding out. Bless us, God. And help us to give thanks in all things. God, we give you glory and honor this morning. And God, we pray that you strengthen us with might in our inner man, God. Help us, Lord, every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We're going to receive.